You're listening to the Covenant Original Podcast. We are honored to hear from our guest speaker, Pastor Dan Wingate. Well, Lord bless. Thank you so much. What a privilege and honor it is to be here this morning with you. God has been so good through the ministry through the years. And uh, I have a stool in case I need it today. I've had a little trouble with my back. I apologize. But uh, you're going to get the word today. And the word of God changes lives. So be attentive today. See what God has for us. First of all, I'm impressed by your church. Uh, just seeing the people, all the volunteers that were outside beforehand during the service, people up here uh, on the platform stage area, uh, your ministers, just all the volunteers. And then I, I have to say something especially about your two of the three pastors. That's Pastor Travis and Pastor Dave who have grown up in our church. Pastor Travis uh, was an intern, then was a part of our church staff for two years, I believe it was. Uh, he really helped increase some things in our ministry, uh, added a few things to our ministry, and uh, God just really greatly used him, and I knew God had great things in store for him, and he's led him here uh, to Grove City and to this church and the great things I know that God has in store for the future. Really proud of him and Vanessa, their faithfulness to the Lord. And of course, Pastor Dave, again, he grew up in our church. Both these men saved through the ministry. And uh, Dave grew up in the church. His father had been a deacon. Travis has been, his father is a co-pastor church over 30 years with me. And uh, Dave's father has been a deacon for many years, presently is. And uh, what a, another great family. But Dave himself, Jarrah, her family grew up in our church, his wife. And uh, we are just so proud of their ministries and what God is doing here at Grove City. And you folks are in the prayers of those at West Hill on a regular basis. Well, today in Romans chapter 1, if you want to look or to be on the screen there, Romans chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 14. Today I'm going to speak to you about choices we make in life. Romans 1, 14, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Can we pray? Father, I thank you for your love. I pray that the words that will be given here in the moments ahead will be a challenge and encouragement. Lives will be changed. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at those words. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. How important that is. You know, there's many things that bring shame to us in our lives. Think of things that sometimes people do to bring shame to us. A young boy in high school his father got in some minor law breaking, ended up having to stand before the court, went to prison for six to nine months in the county jail because of stealing. Another young boy who was arrogant did not really care for this kid, so he began ridiculing and teasing him and, and putting him down day after day. What kind of a father do you have? A father that would steal, a father that couldn't provide for his family. My dad's a banker. My dad provides. Your dad must be something. Ridiculing endlessly for days. Finally, he stopped the ridicule. Then he turned around and went home. His dad, about two months later, he went home, and his father, who was a banker, financial planner, went home and found out that his father had been found, that through the many years at the bank, he had embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars from the bank. This boy was so ashamed of what he had done, so ashamed of his father. He did not go to school for days upon days, and finally his mother made him go, but he was ashamed because of his father's actions. Sometimes other people, those we love, bring shame to us. Let me give a personal illustration by way of introduction. I was at West Hill, say, 44 years, and when I started there, the church was smaller. And I say that because one thing I could not wait is for the church to begin to grow. 
I wanted to institute a men's softball, women's softball, men's basketball, love sports, but I wanted them to be involved with each other, people in the community. So I got these sports programs going. In the early years, we started a basketball program and were pretty good. Had a lot of guys that loved it, were out of high school, played some college ball and just loved the game. Had a team that was really good one year. I think we lost one game, uh, blowing everybody away. Played teams in Stark, some at Wayne County, some across the state of Ohio. Finally, there was a team in Dover. And this team was a team of caliber of our team. They were really anxious to play us. We had to rent a gym. They had their own gym. And so we went down to their gym. Now, I'm ashamed to say that I had a temper back in that day. Uh, we all may fight those things. I hope that whatever it is you're fighting, you give it to the Lord. Temper, lust, malice, anger, uh, whatever it might be. But I had a temper, and we went down and played. And immediately, I began thinking as a young kid who had a temper, even though a senior pastor, I felt that we were getting kind of cheated on some calls. And so I started mouthing off a little bit here and there to the official. Official finally at one point looked at me and said, young man, didn't know who I was, wouldn't have mattered. Young man, he said, you need to calm down. This is a basketball game. It's church basketball. Calm down. Well, it didn't help me. I put my head down and mouthed some things. Nothing wrong, but just mouthing off attitude. Finally, I got a foul on me, and I started mouthing again. And immediately, he gave me a technical. So I've had it. Now, you think I'd be ashamed. I was embarrassed because I'm a pastor. I was there with church people, church people watching the game, a church group, you might say, with a church league, and yet I kept mouthing off. Got into the second half, and he must have went into the locker room and talked to the other official and had it all mapped out to watch out for me. Because it started up again, and I made, someone got a foul on him, and I made another comment, and he blew the whistle of technical and said, you're out of here, and threw me out of the game. Senior pastor, lead pastor, church group, church men. I was embarrassed, but evidently still not ashamed. Went over on the bench, and I started mouthing off again through the series of the game. Finally, we got into the end of the third, beginning of the fourth quarter, I think. They had a three-point lead, and we weren't used to being down. We had a foul called on us. It means they could make two of the baskets or miss one, rebound, and have another point. So in other words, five or six points, we could be down. I started mouthing off again. Now, this is exactly, excuse the animation, but this is what happened. The official blew his whistle and said, stop, stop, everyone stop. I've never seen that in elementary, high school, college, church league, or nothing. Everybody on the floor stood dead in their tracks. Everybody in the stands were quiet. Honestly, for a basketball court, you could hear a pin drop. That official walked towards our bench, pointed his finger towards me, said, young man, if I hear another word out of your mouth, I'm throwing you out of the gym. I don't care if it's a good word or a bad word, shut your mouth. Silence like there is here today. Every eye looking at me. Now I was ashamed. It hit me. What an idiot I had been. Now that's a sermon in itself, how God used that to turn that part of my life around. But there's an example of shame of myself. Maybe you've done something. You think of how much shame it has brought to you. Thank the Lord we have a forgiving God, a loving, merciful God. But Paul says, you know what? No matter what the shame is from, whether you bring the shame to yourself or whether someone else brings the shame to you, I want you to know that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, that being said, what's the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15 is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins, buried, 
he rose Easter, we just celebrated that, the resurrection of Jesus, that is the gospel message. Now, knowing that's the gospel, how do I respond to it? Number one, you should accept it. Accept the gospel. The Bible says in Romans 3, all of us are sinners. There is none righteous. There is none that doeth good. All have gone out of the way. A terrible indictment of man. We are all fallen from God's uh, glory. And the Bible says the sin brings death. Romans 5, 12, physical death. Ephesians 2, 1, spiritual death. Regardless of how religious or good or moral or attending covenant or West Hill or whatever church, if without Jesus, you're spiritually dead in the sight of God. Revelation 20, 15, the second death. Whosoever is not found written in the book of life, cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, eternal separation from God Almighty. Sin, what a terrible picture, but the gift of God. That's what the gospel is about, the gift of God that brings eternal life. Well, I've got plenty of time to receive the gospel. Do you? James 4.14 says our life's a vapor. It's here, it's gone. These smoke machines, you see that little mist coming out? It's there for a little while, and it's gone. The Bible says in light of eternity, that's how our lives are. They're here for a little time, and then they're gone. So in light of eternity, you need to be certain you accept the gospel. Number two, if you've accepted it, you need to live it. Can Jesus be seen in your life? Is it evident that you're a child of God? Is it evident you're saved by your walk, your talk? You have choices every day. Your spouse can tell you to do certain things, act certain ways. You can tell it by the pastors of this church tell you certain things, but you personally, are you doing on your choices, living the gospel? Now, all through the Bible, there's been good and bad choices. Good choices bring blessings, bad choices bring bad consequences. I think of one bad choice in the Bible, Old Testament story by the man by the name of Achan. You ever hear of him? In the days of Joshua, Joshua in Israel had just won the mighty battle of Jericho, a fortified city, nobody could overcome it. They overcame the city of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. You know, the seventh day, marched seven times, the walls came down. And Joshua had overcome this great city and such joy over the victory they had over this nation. Now they had to overcome a small nation by the name of Ai to get to the promised land. Ai was so small, Joshua took 3,000 soldiers to fight him. Now he had 600,000 warriors according to numbers. 600,000 soldiers, he takes 3,000 because it's an easy battle. They lose the battle, and 36 soldiers are killed. Joshua goes back, and Joshua 7 falls on his face, and he prays. Interesting, God says, Joshua, quit praying. Wow, God tells you not to pray? Quit praying. You need to get off your face and take care of sin that is in the camp. What sin? God has said that whenever they took a city over, any garments were to be taken and put into a sacrifice, burned as a sacrifice to the Lord, and any gold or silver was to be put in the temple of God. Well, Achan stowed the garments, stowed the silver and gold, put the garments in his tent, hid the silver and gold under his tent. Through a series of things, process, he's found he and his wife, children are all killed. Bad choice. What's the consequence? A nation lost the battle. The consequence, 36 other people unrelated to him are killed. His wife, children, as well as himself are all killed. Your consequence of sin may not be that heavy to others. 
that it'll pay a toll on your life and guarantee sooner or later it pays a toll on the lives of others as well. Be careful of the choices that you make. You know what his sin happened? He said, I saw the garment and the gold, I coveted, and I took it. And that's how sin is. I see something and, well, you know, God doesn't want it, but, well, other people are doing it. I begin to think about it, I covet it. What if I did this? And then you partake of the sin. Understand that no sin stays small. Small sin leads to bigger sin, which leads to tragedy. Now, that having said, back to the first question, have you accepted the gospel? Are you born again? Do you know Christ as Savior? When you're born again, if you have accepted it, are you living it? When you get saved, you receive a new character. Do you understand that today if you're saved? If you are saved, the character of God has been reproduced in you. Now, think of this. I am a Wingate by human nature. Dave is a Palmer by human nature. His wife, Jarrah, is a Craycraft by human nature. See, whatever your name, your family, you're born by human nature. That's what you are. Every person here today is one nature for sure. That's human nature. But when you're saved, you possess a new nature. So you have the old human nature, but now you have a new nature, and the new nature is a divine nature. It's the nature of God that has been put within you. There's no choice. If you're saved, you've got that nature of God. Now, if you have that nature, you hear people say, well, they say they're saved. I can't believe it. You don't have to do that. Here's what the Bible tells us. Study the word of God. If you have the divine nature, this is going to be evident in your life. There's no question about it. So time of self-examination. Number one, the traits of a newborn person or twice-born person is number one, a love for Jesus. Do you love Jesus? I mean, so he stands to reason. He's the son of God. Do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Uh, just like you love your family, your spouse, your children, your family. Is Jesus something that, man, eh, if we talk about him, good. Who cares? Come to church on Sunday, that's all it is. Don't care about the Bible, don't care about prayer, don't care about anything about Jesus. I'm not gonna judge, but it's a time of self-examination. See, a characteristic that is transmitted into us when we possess Jesus Christ, the life of God possesses in us a love for his son or he himself, God, Jesus in the flesh, a love for Jesus. So number one, you have a love for Jesus. Number two, if you're a twice-born person, you have the witness of the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we're children of God, born in the family of God. Can I explain it? Nope. Hard to explain, but if you're saved, you know what it is. The Spirit of God comes within me when I trusted Christ. And the Spirit of God is my witness, gives me the confidence or the assurance that you or I are children of God. That comes through the Holy Spirit itself. There has to be no questions about it the witness of the Spirit within me assures me. So I have a love for Jesus, a witness of the Spirit. Well, here's a big one. Number three, a desire for holiness. Wow. Do you desire holiness? God's holy. How can you not desire holiness? How can you or I say that we're saved and love to be around sin and don't care about being righteous or holy? Answer that to yourself. I don't understand it. When we possess God, a God of divine nature, a God who's holy, how can we say we're a child of God and not have a hatred towards sin? Now, I'm not saying you're gonna be sinless. Heaven's sakes, never, never, never. Not saying you'll be sinless. But I am saying this. There's definitely a change in our life 
my life has changed from how I looked at sin before I got saved and how I look at sin after I got saved. Before I got saved, I ran to sin. Oh, what a shame. I loved sin. I loved being around people that were in sin. I felt real comfortable around them. But now that I'm saved, I run from it. I don't enjoy those things now. I may fall into things, but I don't enjoy it. I don't have a love for that anymore. In other words, I'm unhappy if there's sin in my life. As one preacher said, the most miserable person alive is a Christian who's living in unconfessed sin. Now hear this, you cannot, if you have a challenge this statement, you can challenge later, we'll look at the scripture, I will prove it to you. You cannot be a child of God and live consistently in sin and not have remorse or sorrow or be miserable about that sin. It's impossible. First John, study it. We possess the nature of God, and so we are going to have a desire for holiness, a love for Jesus, the witness of the Spirit, a desire for holiness, and number four, a love for other believers. First John chapter four, notice these verses, verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Pretty simple scripture. Look at verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. He that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This is the commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. How can you read the scripture and not understand that we as Christians are to love other Christians, which means out of desire to be around Christians? Why would I, who possess the desire of God, the holiness of God, a love for Jesus, and a love for other believers, why would I have more enjoyment with people that are unsaved and want a fellowship with unsaved more than I do believers? Does that make sense to you? The Bible says there's a change that transpires in my life, and that change is to be evident. That is how I live the gospel. That is how Christ is honored, how Christ is seen because of how my life is before other people. So Christ came to die for our sins. He was buried, rose from the grave for our salvation, the gospel story, and the gospel is what brings salvation. It's not my deeds. It's not my tradition, my religion. Well, I've been a Baptist since I was a young kid. God bless you, but that doesn't mean you're saved. I've been a Lutheran. I was raised a Lutheran. Didn't mean I was saved. Be a Presbyterian, Catholic, doesn't matter. The point is, do you know Jesus Christ? The question is not church membership, not piety, not parentage. I've been raised in a Christian home. I know the Bible better than you do, Pastor. Great. But salvation is by faith and faith alone. Christ died in our place, the gospel. He was buried for us. He rose on the third day. And it's by faith in Christ alone that salvation comes. And when it happens, I have a peace, a peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, a peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're without Christ, you've not accepted the gospel Remember, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time, 2 Corinthians 6.2. Remember James 4, the life's of vapor is here and it's gone. Billy Sunday was a preacher of years ago. He always used to say this. I'd rather be 10 miles away from hell and headed away from it than 10,000 miles away from it and headed towards it. Which way are you headed today? Do you know Jesus Christ? If you know Christ, are you living the gospel? Are you an example of a Christian? Or do you play church on Sunday? Go home and have an entirely different life your spouse knows about. Go to work and people say, that's a Christian? 
what kind of life do you live for Jesus? There's a guy that bought a pole constrictor snake. Maybe you heard about pole constrictors. They will squeeze the life out of his prey, whether an animal or a person. Got this bull constrictor snake and from a little small snake. He had the idea, I'm gonna make money, money, money. He had an act he began to work on. He put the snake in a box. He opened the side of the box. He snapped his finger and had the snake trained to where it would slither across the stage and stop at his feet. Snap his finger again and the snake would coil itself around his body and stop right here looking him in the face. Snap his finger again, the snake would stick his tongue out and never so gently touch his lips. Snap his finger again, uncoil and go back to the box. It was called the kiss of death. Oh man, the snake got full grown. Bull constrictor, he's doing this trick. I mean, people were amazed at what was transpiring. He sold out every time he showed it. The box opened, snapped his finger, the snake slithered out, came to his feet, snapped his finger, coiled around his body, looked him in the face, Snapped his finger, stuck his tongue out, ever so gently touched his lips. Snapped his finger, uncoiled, went back into the box. People stood, applauded, cheered, stood in line waiting to get in. But people would say, watch it. You're foolish. This snake can squeeze the life out of you. It can kill you. Oh, not me. I've known that little snake since a baby. I have complete control. I have mastery over it. I have no problem with that snake. One day, the largest arena he'd been in, sold out crowd, people couldn't get in, people standing along the aisles. He opened the lid, snapped his finger, the snake slithered across to his feet, snapped his finger, it coiled around his body and looked him in the face, snapped his finger, his tongue came out ever so gently touching his lips, snapped his finger, but this time, rather than uncoiling, the snake squeezed itself tighter around his body. The crowd clapping and cheering even louder, thinking it's all part of the act. He clapped, they clapped, and, and he snapped his finger again, thinking the snake may not have heard it, and snapped it again. And in the midst of thousands of people, that snake coiled his body and squeezed the life out of him. What's the moral of that story? It's a small sin to give wrong and sexual innuendos to the opposite sex. It's a small sin to cheat, to lie, to steal, a small sin to use language you know that's not pleasing to God. A small sin to get on the internet, man, everybody's doing it, and look at things and partake of things you ought not. I'm not worried, Pastor Dan. I've done this off and on for weeks, months, years. I've got control. I have mastery over it. And one day you'll find that sin has got so strong and so powerful, it will squeeze the life right out of you. It'll take away your joy, your happiness, your purpose for living. It might destroy your marriage, your family. Deal with sin while it's still small, which means confess and repent. We all have choices to make on a daily basis. Choices to either accept the Lord gospel or to reject the Lord and the gospel. Choices to live it or to reject it. I pray that our choices We'll honor Jesus, and it'll be evident in all that we do that we live the gospel and live a life for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you so much for the love that you've shown towards us. Lord, I pray today that every individual, from this preacher to every person, will examine their life closely and, Lord, see if there be 
some small sin that is gaining power to destroy. Something we feel we have victory over, but we don't. Someone here today needs to accept the gospel. I pray they will. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for a moment. I want to ask you, do you need to accept the gospel? I can't see out there very well to see who would respond, but there are those cards that are right there in front of you today, and they're called the connection card. You get a chance to fill it out if you make a decision today. Give it to someone out in the hallway. Let them know of the decision you made so they can pray for you, follow up on you. But number one, if you need to accept it, right today where you're at. A simple prayer. It's not the prayer. It's repentance of sin. Lord, I've broken your law. I'm a sinner, as James and John and Romans 3 has really said. I'm a sinner. And I confess, forsake, repent of Christ's rejection and trust you as Savior. And by that prayer today, by the heart, surrender to Christ. Receive him as Savior. Don't feel you got forever to do it. Accept the gospel. Are you living it? You're saved, but what's your life like when you leave the seat today and head out into your car? Can Christ be seen in you? That's what it's about. If Christ didn't want us to be seen in, him, in us, he'd just take us to heaven right today. What's the purpose of keeping us here? To bring glory to him, praise to him, to help point others to him. Are you doing it? Father, I do pray today that you will have your will, your way, and victory in our lives this morning. Thank you that we have a gospel that we can live for because you loved us and died for our sin, became the sacrifice to make heaven available. We thank you for that, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.